I wanted to share with you about something that happened in my life uh, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night, startled, like scared, because it was like 3 a.m., and I was deep in my REM cycle sleep, and, and I woke up with my wife sort of leaning over me, sitting up in the bed, leaning over me, looking out the door of our bedroom, out into the hallway area, and she was talking to someone. Now, at first I thought, she must be talking to our kids. One of them got up and needed something. That happens when you have little kids. But the stuff she was saying didn't support that hypothesis because she was saying things like, you get out of here and never come back. Uh, there's nothing for you here. And that's not usually how she talks to our children. <laughs> not usually. So I said, baby, what is going on? And she said, nothing, nothing. It's just someone's in the living room. <laughs> go back to sleep. And I just lay there with my eyes open like, I'm the man. Should I go check this out? Is that what men do? You know, like, <laughs> and so I didn't go check it out. I just <laughs> pretended to go back to sleep. The next morning, I, I woke up. I was exhausted. I was, felt shaken. I woke up kind of sweaty because I, I, on top of that little episode, I had this awful, awful nightmare the same night. And I'm not one to remember my dreams. They say everybody dreams every night. Have you heard that? But not everybody remembers their dreams. And I, I don't usually remember my dreams for whatever reason. And I don't remember the last time I had a nightmare. I mean, I think it was like when the Alien movie sequel came out, when I was nine or something. I don't know. But it's been a while since I had a nightmare. And it was a nightmare about being chased through the woods by the devil, which I guess is a product of preaching about the devil uh, for the last, you know, four or five weeks. Now he's chasing me through the woods. And it was a really horrifying nightmare. And I just, I wanted to share it with somebody. So I shared it with my small children over Cheerios that morning. And uh, they, they were there and my wife was there. And I said, look, I just, uh, I had this nightmare about Satan chasing me through the woods. And my kids kind of laughed at daddy. And, but I looked at Gio and she was not laughing. And Gio, my wife, my co-pastor, my wife, she said, it wasn't a dream. He was here. I sensed him right over there in the middle of the night in, in the living room. It was real. So I just kept eating my Cheerios. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> she said he wanted to hurt you, but I wouldn't let him. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, kids, let's go to school. You know, that kind of thing. Um, that kind of thing might sound a little off. To you. It might sound insane to you, um, but I've known Gio for 20 years now, and I know that she is not insane. I know that she is a mystic. I know that she lives most of the time in some unseen realm. She's not insane. I, uh, there's a restaurant that I love on Richmond, not far from here, Richmond and Kirby. Uh, it's an Indian restaurant. Indian's my favorite food. If y'all ever want to take me out for, uh, for Indian food, I, I will love you more than I do now. And it is, it is, but what I love about this restaurant is that the sign outside it, the owner is really creative with it and he's always putting new messages up. Um, the restaurant is Kyber, 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 I don't know. But he always puts up the greatest, like, signs uh, and messages and he always has the funny things like Thanksgiving uh, week he had, uh, no turkey, wrong Indians. It's an Indian restaurant. You get it? Anyway, so a few, <laughs> a few months back, he had a three-word question on his sign that cracked me up for weeks. It said, very simply, Bluetooth or crazy? 
You get it? Like when you're at ATV and you're walking around and somebody's like, yeah, and then I went to the store and I went to that. You're like, you're just like it, they're just by themselves and they're talking. If you were in a coma for 10 years and you woke up and everybody's walking around talking to themselves, you would think a lot of people have gone crazy in the last 10 years. But we have these little you know, Bluetooth devices that make it possible. Sometimes it's hard to tell Bluetooth are crazy. As I was getting to know Giovanna in the first years of our marriage, uh, I had to ask the question a lot. It wasn't Bluetooth. It was Prayer or crazy? Like, I didn't know which because this woman is always praying. She is, has an ongoing conversation with God. And she talks to him and he talks to her and they talk about her and me and the kids and the weather and the city and the church and the world. They talk constantly. She's constantly praying. And here's the difference, I believe, between someone like Gio and someone like me. Because I am not like her. I am a skeptic at heart. I am wired to question everything. I like to be in control of my own destiny. And I like to know what to expect. And so the difference between me and her, she knows this spiritual world exists, and she chooses to live in it much of the time. I also know that the spiritual world exists. I cannot deny it. I love Star Wars too much to deny that there is another realm, a spirit realm, right? It's obvious to me, but I choose not to live in it as much as she does. I choose not to access it or to, to live into that because I'm afraid, frankly, and it's an inconvenience to live in the spirit realm. You start hearing all these things you're supposed to do for people, and I'd rather not, you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather just stay in the world I'm in. So I guess the question is really, who's insane? Her or me? Who's missing something? Her or me? I think it's obvious. There's two worldviews, I think, um, going on in my marriage, and there's two worldviews going on in our culture. I, I really think there's a, a war of worldviews um, going on in our culture. We talk about worldview quite a, quite a bit at the story because your worldview determines so much of your existence. It determines your priorities, how you spend your time, what you believe, what you stake your life on. So when we think about worldviews, I think about two in particular, the worldview of materialism and the worldview of mysticism. Materialism is not someone who just wants to go out and buy everything. They're not someone who needs the iPhone 10 yesterday. Like you're not someone who has the Apple Watch, you know, version whatever. And they're not someone who has all the new stuff and clothes. That's not what I mean when I say materialism. I'm talking about a materialist in terms of someone who believes that the physical world is all that matters. Matter is all there is. The stuff of life is all that we should be living for. And so the stuff you can taste and see and buy and access with your physical self is all that matters to the materialist. So the materialists are skeptics who think about the world in terms of its utility. How is the world useful for me, handy for me, beneficial for me? Materialists typically believe that the world would be a better place if everyone stopped wishing these pie-in-the-sky wishes and stopped being superstitious and just used common sense to figure out your own problems. Because for the materialist, at the end of the day, we are all we've got. If God is real, and some materialists believe that God is real, but if he is, he's not an active part of our lives every day. He's not an active agent. He's more of a deist God. He set the world in motion. Now he stands at a distance, and we are left to our own devices because God is a non-factor because we can't see him as materialists. And so we live our lives on our terms. The issue with materialism is that it tends to go one of two ways in terms of your 
framework of morality, and not to nerd or geek out here on philosophy. I'm not a philosopher, and some of you who are are going to think I'm a total amateur, because I am. But listen, there, is, there are two ways that, that, that this goes for the materialist. Um, usually, materialists will go either toward utilitarianism when it comes to how you live your life as a moral human being. The utilitarian basis for moral good is whatever it is you do that does the most good for the most people. So whatever it is that does the most good for the most people defines good, defines moral. Consequentialists, on the other hand, believe morality is determined by the ends justifying the means. In other words, if you do something and it results in something good, then it was a moral action. If you do something and it results in something bad, it was an immoral action. And the problems with these worldviews and this framework is so obvious. The problem is that it's all subjective because no one knows who gets to define what good means in either of these frameworks. What does it mean, good for the most people? The most good for the most people. Well, what's good? Do we get to decide that as 21st century, Western, educated, middle, upper class, whatever people? Or do people in other parts of the world and other times and other places get to define that for themselves? Well, yeah, everyone gets to define their own truth. Well, then it's not really true. It's subjective. It's not truth in terms of an objective moral reality. Uh, and the same goes for consequentialists. No one knows who gets to define what good means. No one knows what it means to say good for people or the most people. Which people are more important? Usually it's your people <laughs> that matter more. Again, it's very subjective. So that's the one hand. That's materialism and where it leads. On the other hand, there's this mysticism worldview, the worldview of the mystic. People like Geo, maybe some of you are mystics. I would bet that most of you are not, most of you, because most of you have my spiritual DNA. Unfortunately, that's what happens when a preacher plants a church, is that you get my DNA or you had it before you came, and that's what brought you here. And, and we are a, a culture that's made for skeptics and doubters. And so some of you might be mystics. Most of you probably are um, materialists, but if you are a mystic, you think about the world like Geo does in terms of its destiny. Not just its utility, like materialists do. You don't think how this world's useful to you. You think about what's happening with the world. Where is it all going? What, is, what purpose underlies this existence? And so for the, for the spiritual mystic, you believe that the world will be a better place not if people just use common sense. You believe the world would be a better place if more people understood their divine identity, their divine worth, their divine calling and purpose in the world. Not only is God real for you as a mystic, he is an active and ever-present reality. Mystics see God in nature. Mystics talk to God in the forest. Mystics worship God by looking up at a, a sky full of stars. Mystics find God everywhere, and they talk to him, and he talks back. Whenever something bad happens, when things go wrong in this life, materialists immediately look for someone to blame, some way to fix it. Mystics don't think that way. Mystics look at things that go wrong in life, and when your life is hitting the fan, you know, and, and mystics in your life are the ones who say things like, well, I know God has a plan here. Just hold on. God will see you through this. Everything happens for a reason. You've all got somebody like this in your life. That's your mystical friend is the one who says stuff like that when your life is falling apart. And that materialist inside of you just wants to roll your eyes and, you know, go watch Netflix or something to turn off um, whatever it is your mystical friend might want you to understand. So 
the crossroads we come to is this choice that we all get to make. We're all empowered, I believe, by God to make a choice about how we understand the world, how we perceive reality. You get a choice. It's not determined for you by your DNA or by evolution or by whether or not you were raised in a Christian home. You get to make a choice about whether to see the world as a materialist or as a mystic. And we are all one or the other. There's very little or if any gray area in between. And I believe there's no better time than Christmas, than right now, to make a decision and to think about these things. If for no other reason than the fact that every single Christmas movie you've ever loved was about this very decision. Well, am I going to be a materialist or am I going to be a mystic? Every single Christmas movie on TNT between now and December 25th, except for Bad Santa, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, <laughs> is going to be about this decision between materialism and mysticism. Think about Cratchit and Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Cratchit's a mystic. Scrooge is a materialist. Or think about uh, the Who's, uh, the mystics of, uh, of Dr. Seuss's uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Or The Grinch being the materialist. Or think about Buddy the Elf, everyone's favorite Christmas movie. Can I get a amen from the congregation? <laughs> Buddy the Elf, your ultimate mystic compared to his dad, who's obviously a materialist. So what I want to ask you today is which one are you? If you were in one of these movies, which character would you be in the life that you're actually living now? Which one are you, a materialist or a mystic? I believe that on a day-to-day -day basis, emergencies aside, tragedies aside, we're all mystics suddenly in emergencies and tragedies. But on a day-to-day -day basis, um, more of us are materialists than we care to admit. And it's not because we don't believe in God. There are plenty of Christian materialists. It's because it's easier. It's just more convenient to be a materialist than to be a mystic. And you're busy and you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, you got stuff to do, you got stuff to buy, you got places to go. And so who has time to be a mystic? I just want to live my life, man. You don't have to care as much when you're a materialist. You just, you just live your life, you just hide behind some semblance of common sense and just fix your own problems and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You, you just live your life. Think with me, uh oh, my little mascot, I'll be with you in a minute. Think with me about what happens when tragedy strikes, when the headlines turn ugly, when you're uh, watching CNN or on the, on the web, on your favorite you know, news uh, site, and there's something awful that's happened. Think about, for example, mass shootings and how we look at mass shootings differently. In the wake of a mass shooting, a materialist will look at a mass shooting and will immediately look to place blame. They will immediately look for the bad guy. You know you're, you're a materialist if your knee-jerk reaction to a tragedy like that is to look for who to blame so we can fix this problem ourselves. And once we get rid of that person or those people, then we'll be done with this problem of mass shootings. And if you're a, a liberal materialist, it's usually, you know, uh, the NRA, we need fewer guns. Or if you're a conservative materialist, it's usually liberals or terrorists, we need more good guys with guns. And if we only had that, then we'd fix the problem ourselves because we can fix our own problems. But in the face of a tragedy like that, the mystic doesn't look for someone to blame. The mystic doesn't need some enemy. The mystic already has an enemy. The mystic looks the enemy in the eye and says, you get out of here and never come back. There's nothing for you here. And that 
battle takes a lot more effort, a lot more energy, and sometimes it takes more time and courage than just blaming somebody or some group of people that you didn't even like before the tragedy struck. Your mind was already made up. You didn't like them, and you just decided to scapegoat them for this tragedy that's really deep down a spiritual problem. In the Bible, Matthew and Luke tell the story of Christmas from Earth's point of view. Most of us think about Christmas from Earth's perspective because it's the story of Christmas that we're used to hearing. It was Joseph and there was Mary and they were engaged and she was pregnant and then they got married and had the baby. And there were shepherds and there were wise men. You know the story from Earth's perspective, from Matthew and Luke's perspective. But there is a third perspective to understand about the Christmas story. There is another vantage point heaven's perspective that the gospel of John captures. This writer of John, he was Jesus's best friend. He was there with Mary whenever Jesus was dying on the cross. He was the only disciple that showed up. And as he looked Jesus in the eye, he was just feet away from Jesus's face. And Jesus said, John, buddy, take care of my mom for me. He said, mama, take care of my best friend for me. And so then John and Mary lived out their last days together. If you ever wonder how it is that John had this heavenly perspective that showed the Christmas story through the lens of the angel's vantage point, It's because Jesus was his best friend and Mary was his adopted mother. She lived out the rest of her days under his roof. Can you imagine the stuff he learned from her? Can you imagine the stories she told over the campfire at night or the stories he told to her about following Jesus around in ministry for three years? Can you imagine the stuff they shared? When I read John's writings, whether it's the Gospel of John, which everyone knows is is pretty weird compared to the other three Gospels, or when I read John's letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, or when I read everyone's favorite book in the Bible, Revelation, which was also written by John, I hear the voice of Mary. Because we've already learned in this series that Mary was a mystic herself. I think Mary was kind of a co-author of John's. Something like Revelation, it's just a mystical head trip. If you read Revelation and you go, why in the world is this even in the Bible? You're probably a materialist. That's probably the first sign (laughs) that you're a materialist. If you can't stomach Revelation and you just want some laws, man, just give me some rules so I can follow it and know exactly where I stand, you're probably more of a materialist because Revelation is written from a mystical perspective. Just like John's gospel is the mystical version of the other three gospels. Revelation is the mystical version of the whole salvation story. And there is this awesome allusion in the 12th chapter of Revelation about the nativity scene from heaven's perspective. So we know what it looked like from the earth. What did Christmas, the nativity scene that we celebrate every year, what did it look like from heaven's vantage point through the eyes of the angels? John gives us this in Revelation chapter 12. He says it like this, Revelation 12 verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, this is Mary, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. That is a reference to Satan falling from heaven, taking one-third of the angels of heaven with him. That's what we believe happened when Satan was expelled from heaven. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child. 
the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, the reason this is confusing to materialists like me is because it doesn't tell the story in a linear fashion. Because heaven is not a part of the space-time continuum. Heaven is not in the time dimension. And so if you look at the Christmas story from heaven's perspective, you're seeing all of it. Start, middle, and end in one picture. And so in one verse, Jesus is born and then he's swept up to heaven. His birth and his ascension, something happened 33 years later, happened in the same time. Because when you're looking from heaven's perspective, it's a whole different story. When I taught on this passage and I shared my passion for this, this is my favorite Christmas story in, in the Bible because it's, I'm just weird. And so and my friend Nick told me um, that he thought our nativity scene here at the story was missing something. So two years ago, our first Christmas, he fashioned for us our nativity dragon. This is the Christmas dragon, y'all. And I love it so, so much. Um, and it, and when, when I'm not um, preaching about it, it's, it's out in our activity scene right by the, the shepherds and stuff, you know, just hanging out with, with the cows and sheep and stuff, probably scaring them to death, you know what I mean? And, and so now we have a nativity dragon. Uh, it's not something we usually think about. We, well, we would rather think about Matthew and Luke's version and just be satisfied with that. But listen, it's something we should think about. Because Jesus thought about it, obviously. Jesus' best friend thought about it. His mom also thought about it. They, they probably believed that there should be a dragon in all of our nativity scenes. And so go home and add one to your collection. If you, if you don't have a dragon sitting around somewhere, you can use a, a Pokemon figure like a, a Charizard or something like that. You can, you can use one of those in your nativity scene. Uh, to, so one of you got that joke. Thank you. And <laughs> the rest of you just figure it out. But because this is, this is part of our reality, too. As Mary pushed through the pain of childbirth, Satan crouched in front of her like a dragon, waiting to devour her child, waiting to destroy the plans God had for her and for that child and for us. He sat there waiting to destroy and devour the plan God had for our salvation. And even then, he was invisible to the physical world, the shepherds and stuff, they didn't see him. They didn't comment on that giant dragon sitting in front of Mary. But he was there all along. It's not unlike some of the things we see in our favorite mythological stories, literature, movies. If you're a fan of Tolkien's literature, you think about Frodo slipping on the ring and seeing the Black Riders. Well, the Black Riders were there all along. They didn't just appear because he put the ring on. They were there. Frodo could only see them when he accessed the spiritual realm. Am I a dork? Yes. And then, if you think about, if you are Netflix fans, any Netflix fans in the house? Any Stranger Things fans in the house? All right. So think about the Demi, I know, hang on just a second. Think about the Demogorgon, right? So the Demogorgon, the upside down world, it's always there. You just have to access it to see it. It's not like it just appears and it's invented when you access it. It's always there. The same is true for our spiritual realm 
today. My apologies to those of you who have no idea what was just on the screen. And that probably ruined your day. You were like, I thought the dragon was the weird part of this sermon. What was that? So bear with me. All right. What you need to know is that John, like many, all New Testament writers, John was a big believer in Satan. John said the reason Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work. And his friend Peter, the other disciple, who wrote part of, who was close to Jesus, wrote part of the New Testament, he said, be alert and of sound mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around searching for someone to devour. Now, you may think you're smarter than these people, and that, I, that's your choice. You may think you know more about um, reality than these, you know, first century Jewish fishermen. Okay, I get it. But the convincing part to me is how close they were to Jesus. And I choose to trust Jesus' perspective. They heard him talk about these things. They knew him best. And they became mystics just like he was. So your worldview is a choice that you get to make. You can make it today. Your worldview is maybe the most important choice you get to make. And some of you are like, I don't really get to make, I don't need to make that choice. I just want to live my life. I'll be a good person. And there's that word good again, and you have to ask yourself how you define that word. I just want to be a good person. I just want to live my life. I just want to have a good life. Listen, if you're not consciously making the choice about your worldview, you will default to the path of least resistance. You follow? You will default to the lowest common denominator of worldviews, which I believe is materialism. I believe the choice against materialism is a salvation issue. The choice to live spiritually is a salvation issue because I believe materialism is a path that eventually leads a person to hell. And it's not because God gets mad at you and condemns you to hell like some religious game. That's not what it is. It's because the materialist eventually becomes his own God. The materialist spends his life building a monument to himself with his work, with his wealth, with his power. Everything becomes about himself. And we know deep down that shrines of self-worship eventually become prison cells. Eventually. A hell of our own making. But we choose it again and again because living like a mystic is a struggle and we're tired. And we'd rather be in control Living like a mystic is a war. It's 3 a.m. wake-up calls to shoo Satan away from your sleeping spouse. It can be exhausting. But God does not leave us alone in that battle. He equips us for that battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, we learn how he equips us with this thing called the full armor of God. We've been learning about this for four weeks now. and This is the fifth week of learning about this. Each week we've been reading this passage together. I would love it. This is our, probably our last time reading this together in this service. I'd love it if you would just read it with me one last time. Um, and we'll read a little bit further than we did last time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that whenever the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, 
Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Talk about sword of the Spirit next week. I want to finish up today by talking about the helmet of salvation. Why is salvation embodied in a, in a helmet? I think it's wrapped up in this conversation we're having today. I think the choices that we make about how we perceive reality, it's a salvation issue. And I think protecting our minds from thoughts that would lead us astray, protecting our thoughts, shielding us from the schemes of the enemy that would distract us, that would cause us to doubt ourselves, I think that's what's at stake because I think materialism is really just a laziness of the mind. Materialism is just a refusal to go deeper, to think and reflect on deeper things. The lazy-minded man just wants to stay in control of his life. He wants to focus on money and sex and power and entertainment because all that stuff makes him feel big and strong. But the mystic doesn't need to feel big and strong because her God is big and strong enough. So the mystic can shrink before that mystery even in her weakness because God is big and armed with truth and righteousness and readiness and faith. She dons that helmet of salvation to protect her thoughts from the lies of the devil that will enter in if you let them. You're not good enough. You're not as good as them. Your life is not as good as theirs. Just look at Instagram. Look how happy they are. Why aren't you that happy? Stop praying all the time. People think you're weird. Try talking to a person for once. Have a normal life. Just have fun. All the lies of the devil that lead us astray. Our minds are protected from when we don the helmet of salvation. When you're a mystic, you understand that. You understand that you're on a mission here and nothing is more important than the mission that you're on. So like Mary, you keep pushing. You keep pushing through the pain, through the exhaustion. You keep pushing, even though it hurts, even though there's a dragon staring you in the face. You push and you trust and you watch over the friends and family that you know who are under attack. You pray for them at 3 a.m. in the morning while they sleep. You tell the devil to get out of your house and to get out of theirs. Even if people think you're weird, because you're a mystic, you know the, matter, the mission matters more than what they think you're living for something more. I'm going to close simply by saying one of two things is true. And I don't, I don't think in binary terms a lot. I think the world is full of gray area and things like that. But one of two things are true. Either nothing matters or everything does. Either we are here today sitting in this room, lumps of matter and cells and atoms, by some strange coincidence of cosmic chance. Either we're here by some cosmic accident or we're here for a reason. Over time, despite my skeptical nature, I've come to believe that we're here for a reason. That you were created by something more than chance. That everything you do matters and that you matter Because God made you with a purpose in mind to enlist you in this struggle of light against the darkness, to join the resistance of Jesus and follow him with your life. Follow him in such a way that the whole world will know that God is real, that God is love, that God created each person with a purpose in mind. If, you, if any part of you 
has any inclination to believe that today. I encourage you, even though you may be tired or you may be worn out by religion or you may be burned out or skeptical, I encourage you to entertain that small notion that maybe you were created for something more than just materialism and just this world that you see and taste and touch and buy. And your enlistment in God's army can begin simply by saying the prayer I'm going to pray in a minute. And I'm going to pray it for me, y'all, mostly because I need to pray this prayer every single day because I'm still a skeptic and I still struggle. But I, I will pause here and there throughout the prayer, and I'll give you some space to pray it too. You don't have to pray it out loud and make a scene or draw attention to yourself. I know people get weird about that. You can just whisper it or just say it to yourself. Just let this be the beginning of something else. Don't keep floating or drifting and just living a good life. That's not enough. You know it. You were created for something more. So be a mystic today. Let's pray. Okay, God, I'm in. I think I'm ready to live for something more. More than just me and mine. My heart is ready. My mind is alert. I am awake. Show me who to love today. Show me how to love them. Make me aware of the enemy's schemes. Help me fulfill my destiny. And to live for you. So that others will want to live for you too. In Jesus' name, amen.